because, because I'm a hot I'm girl. A hot, I'm girl. A I do hot shit. Because I'm a hot The Hot Girl Agenda, the most shrine grinding podcast <laughs> on the left. Sh- shrine grindingest. Shrine grindingest. Sorry, <laughs> proper grammar <laughs> is important. I am your co-host Rara Imler, and with me is my co-host Yessi Padilla. Hey, 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 hey! And today we also have guest Gita Jackson from Vice. Hello, hello, oh, hello. Hi. Yeah, I'm a staff writer at Motherboard and occasionally write for about video games and around their video game stuff and over at Waypoint as well. Hell it is yeah. a fun gig to have. Mm. Awesome. So on this show, we like to start out with whatever hot girl shit we did in this past week. Uh, Yessi, do you want to kick us off on the hot girl shit? Yeah. So my hot girl shit uh, this this past week is, okay, this is like, I'll, I'll it, it's going to be like a little bit of a uh like um like a story but um so we're i have a baby a two-year-old and we're potty training right now and and i know that doesn't sound like hot girl shit but here's why it's hot girl shit is because taking care of my all of my drunk bitch friends in my 20s like absolutely prepared me for this moment the uh you know the whining the the accidents and messes everywhere and also just like straight up refusing to sit by the toilet like all of that prepared me for this moment I feel like wow if I hadn't been such a like hot girl at the club in my 20s I would feel really bad about potty training my two-year-old but since I was a messy ass bitch like this this, this just like flows and dovetails perfectly so I feel like that's my hot girl shit for this week that's incredible. I had a friend in college. Shout out to Hannah, wherever you are. I still love you, babe. She just would continuously fall asleep with her face on the toilet seat oh. <laughs> in our door. Oh, God. Just, like, one time I asked her, like, Hannah, girl, why do you keep doing this? And she's like, literally, like, when you're that wasted, the seat feels so cool on your face. Yeah, it's just like a hot. <laughs> it just feels like a <gasps> Yeah. It's like, oh, it's like the cold side of a pillow. I should just take a little nap here. <laughs> I never even thought about the continuum from hot club girl to hot parent um, because like that makes so much sense because you're pretty much prepared for whatever irrational emotions come out of the person you're drinking with or taking care of. Temper tantrums, bodily fluids, Mm -hmm. a need for fluids to be reimpert in their body. Oh yeah. Crying. (laughs) Crying for no reason and having to like kind of suss out what it what it is. Are you hungry? Do you need a hug? (laughs) Yeah. The parallels between like drunk bitch and baby are uncanny. Amazing. Amazing. God, shout out to everyone that took care of me when I was still drinking for learning how to take care of a baby. (laughs) Doing the Lord's work, truly. (laughs) Rara, what's Um, your hot girl shit? Oh, God. Did I even do any hot girl shit this week? I feel like I always have a pretty good story. And then, like, this week was just, this week has just been consumed by DSA drama, Uh which is like. I guess I'd say that my hot girl shit this week, to keep it brief, because if anyone follows me on Twitter, you know the story that I'm talking about. I 
basically had to stand up for some comrades who were being mistreated in my my chapter. And I think that's always hot girl shit. You got to fucking stand up for for your Mm. friends and your comrades. And even if they're not your fucking friends or your comrades, if people are being mistreated, you got to speak up for that shit. Can't let it Mm -hmm. go unsaid or unheard and that's all i'll say about that because i really want to know what gita's hot girl shit was this week Mm. honestly i have a couple of options i think one of them is hot girl shit is i stole this t-shirt from my boyfriend which just says dead nazis dead nazis everywhere is what it says on the bottom hell yeah he's in the other room and he'd hear me saying this but he's never getting this shirt back (laughs) it's just not happening but it was also his birthday and like I haven't been to a restaurant in New York and like actually just done that casually Uh in so long and it felt like such a like just like a sexy moment for me to sit in my cute little dress and go out to dinner with my boyfriend it felt so fucking good and we went to an incredible Ethiopian place that was just playing hit after hit of just like classic black music like we sat down and I want to sex you up just was blaring Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is Rolling right? up, rolling up my injera, just like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wanna eat you up. <laughs> I wanna soak you up. Yeah, in my like literally. <laughs> being being a supportive partner is hot girl shit. Like that's all it is. Big up in your partner whenever they you know mm-hmm. when they turn thirty five and have conflicting feelings about that. That's hot girl shit. Oh yeah, that's, that's good. Great. That's great. Well, it sounds like we're all having a great week. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Gita, let's let's go ahead and talk about you for a second. Um, well, actually, hang on. Let me just put a cap in that. Um, yes, yeah, I want to let you go ahead and do that. I've been talking a lot. That's okay. Yeah. So, so let's go ahead and, and jump right in. Um, we've got a lot of questions for you. So, you've been writing about. Uh, the nexus point between uh, internet and uh, culture and gaming for what, like over five years now? Yeah. Damn, you're like, that's like, that's like a uh, veteran status online. Yeah, that's like uh, three decades of internet time, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so here's what's, here's what's driving me kind of like, you know, I, I wanted to pick your brain about this. Like, Right now, um, and you kind of mentioned it, like with COVID, with with you know the varying states of lockdown or not lockdown um, that every every state has had in the U.S., even the normiest of people are now like to some degree extremely online, right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and we've seen some like wild shit come out of that. So like because you like talk, you write a lot and think a lot about like how internet impacts culture and and kind of entertainment and media and all of these different things i wanted to ask you like what do you see as the pitfalls of massive amounts of people living life online in particular in these like proprietary spaces it's not like they're public spaces right like twitter like facebook instagram whatever so like what are the 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 pitfalls you've seen around that well, I mean, the primary social media that I use is Twitter because hey. I have ADHD and it is a perfect depository oh, for yeah. the random thoughts I can't get out of my head. And also know? those dopamine, immediate dopamine hits. Oh, my from, God. Oh, yes. my God. It just really is be, do be satisfying a part of my brain that goes unstimulated for most of the day. Mm. Uh, mm. Like... It, it, but I can see now that so many more people are using Twitter as a primary like form of communication from person to person. Mm-hmm. The um, 
the disingenuousness of the discourse, the way that we talk to people on that platform has spread to such a degree that normal people are noticing it. Yeah. Like, it's been obvious for a long time that posting as an activity makes people defend and create viewpoints that don't make any sense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, you have to, you only have to go back as far as like, genuine like legendary internet content like Grover House or uh, <laughs> like I don't know the, the the wrestling forum like how many days are in a week argument to yeah. understand how like how the mechanics of posting what it rewards in people mm. it rewards conflict all of these platforms Definitely. want you to keep coming back over and over and over again and you know what makes people engage conflict Absolutely. so I think it's becoming clear because like we have had just experienced a the speed of how things become so like just fucking vicious and evil online mm. are absolutely wild. Like today, I just tweeted in response to Megan The Stallion getting her own hot sauce at Popeyes, which I'm absolutely gonna pick up. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my god, I had no like, idea. The original hot Yo. girl. She needed she needed a hot girl sauce. Yeah. Like it was a crime that it hadn't happened. But like I just said, frankly, I should have my own hot sauce. And some random person replied to me like. <laughs> What if hot sauce is colonial is cultural appropriation, and what if Marxism is a is a reductive way of looking at uh, non white wow. peoples? And I was just like, I'm talking about hot sauce. Oh my god, what? <laughs> That's a lot of like baggage to put on a statement like that. Yeah, it's just you know, it, I've really become. I think more people are understanding, like it's understanding something that like people who are quote-unquote internet natives have always understood, Mm -hmm. which is that conflict drives everything on the internet. And it can become so extreme so quickly that it doesn't make any sense. I keep thinking about this just because it was the most absurd thing that happened in my life. But like the Hermione Granger tweet that made everyone call me an ableist, if you look back at it now, that happened in May, I just tweeted like, hey, does anyone notice that like Hermione Granger, like Hermione Granger taught a generation of white women that being a feminist is the same thing as being annoying? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. I remember that. Oh, my God. I have what was like ADHD arguments and neurodivergent yeah. arguments about being annoying. Yeah. And it was is just Hermione like, canonically ADHD? No! Okay, that doesn't if make any was, fucking sense. JK Rowling would have let you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, way she, the way she said that Harry Potter would have supported the fucking... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Harry Potter would have been ashamed by people supporting BDS. Yo, people started tell, like, calling J- Jeremy Corbyn Dumbledore, and J.K. Rowling got so pissed about it. <laughs> Someone please link me to this tweet, because I yeah, somehow, absolutely. being as online as I am, missed this completely. Lord God. That was that was it, the time. <laughs> this was before I think it was such common knowledge that she's a horrible turf, but mm. it was the first, like, sign. It was the first sort of chink in the armor, mm-hmm. where people were like, well, wait a second, maybe these books that we all obsessed over for a decade plus are bad? <laughs> yeah. I I still maintain that for children's books, they were really good. Um, yeah, for, for kids. Children, yeah. Um, for children, for tweens and younger. But also for a, a very particular, you know, because like as a white passing person, it's like I obviously had no problem with seeing myself represented in that. But mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. there, yeah, the way like she presents minorities and like the way that she presents marginalized people is just like, oh my God. Like just looking back on yeah. it. Like, y'all, I still got to get this fucking Harry Potter tattoo covered up. I got this when I was Yo, like me too. Oh, yeah. I have uh, the Deathly House right there. Oh, I need to cover up so yeah, fucking I got, bad. I, got the I might Deathly just House. ask my friend. 
Oh my god! I might just ask my friend just to compose, just to be like, just make it into a bunch of shapes. Oh my like, god! Just add more circles and more triangles. Yeah. Just, just make, make it, it into like I do DMT a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, just make this look like some druggy shit. Way less embarrassing than this. At the time, I thought, you know, Harry Potter is really problematic, and I'm not as obsessed with it as I was when a child. But sure. I can't see a way in which this text itself will become problematic. <laughs> but her, I mean, I think this is also endemic to how the internet, like, we can see now way more visibly how it can radicalize people and Absolutely. how it can take well-meaning people, like, and just turn their brains into mush. Right. It's like, she decided, like... Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's, it boils down to the sorting hat, right? She decided that the sorting hat is an infallible object that can determine what a what a person's core humanity is actually like. And she, so she believes that truly there is a core humanity, a soul, that is immutable in every single person. Mm-hmm. And that changing any element of that consciously is harm to her. I don't know how that would be. But it's that I feel like... That idea is, like, very, very important to the internet and how we discuss identity. Right. That there is a core part of you that is completely immutable and completely unchangeable. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, something when we talk about gender and gender expression online that people have a very difficult time dealing with if only because there are bad actors who propagate this argument in every single way all the time and disseminate it all over the internet. Right, right. It is... And I think... Part of the way that that people are able to do that, that vicious and and um, cutting sort of engagement is because there is a forced familiarity, right? Like mm-hmm. if you yeah. live your life online and we saw this like way back in the old, the times of yore with like Tumblr and LiveJournal, it's it's very expository. Like you're vulnerable because there's an anonymity. Uh, like an uh, anonymous element there right so you feel Mm. like you can be more vulnerable than you would face to face but that the other side of that is that folks think they know you and that they can attack you on that level um and i wanted to to kind of talk about that because y'all are big accounts i i consider myself i'm a small account but i'm like big account adjacent Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i got big friends um (laughs) but but even still like i've experienced like the the like kind of icky parts of parasocial relationships right Mm -hmm. like yeah and and uh gita i recently saw you posted about like what are the tells of meeting someone who's too online so i wanted Mm -hmm. to kind of like talk about that a little bit like what have your experiences been because y'all are big big accounts and you know like we can kind of like talk about it People are fucking weird to me, man. Mm. <laughs> so I'm just like, people are fucking weird to me online. I mean, I think like the the internet parlance of bestie kind of best explains <laughs> the relationship that we have to each other. Bestie is now is like should be a term reserved for people you know in an intimate sense. It can be positive or negative, but people that you are in a community with. Right. But the way the social media is structured, the community of Twitter encompasses, like, uh, the population of a a sovereign nation, essentially. (laughs) You know? That's not in in a space where I can have any kind of intimate relationship with people except for the people I self-select. Like, this would be a mutual agreement between the two of us that we're friends. Mm -hmm, Right. Um, But now anyone can be your bestie, you know? And anyone can just post at you, so true bestie. And then... Against your will, like involuntarily cast your them in you, you in your life. You know, I 
I watch people rate fan fiction about me like all the time. It's really Yikes. weird. No fucking way. I mean, it's not like new one. literal never heard of fan that. fiction, but like, you know, like people will be like, I bet Gita is like this. And it's like, I don't know what you're basing that on because all you do is listen to me talk in podcasts and read some shit I write while I'm pooping. But like, <laughs> yeah. you know. Or, like, really like, misinterpret a joke about Hermione and feminism. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Like, God, I, it was just, it's just, uh, parasociality is one part of it, but it's also, like, people don't understand that just, like, the real world, we live in a society, but then there's communities that exist within that society, mm-hmm. and that sometimes, and, like, not everything is for you. Right. I talked to uh, a dancer, a pole dancer mm-hmm. um, on TikTok who described a little bit about what happens to her whenever her pole dancing content goes outside of the sphere, her own followers, mm-hmm. that she expects it to. Mm-hmm. And she faces like really confusing attacks from people who self-selectingly do not want to interact with her content. Right. You know, like, why is it so easy for us to react to something that's put in front of our eyes without thinking about who the intended audience is, right? I think also, I, I I totally agree with that. And I think also there's a little bit of like treating relationships as like uh, outcome oriented or like consumption mm-hmm. based. Like, so oh, like yes, I said, yes. I'm a small account. I, I don't have that many followers, but I've still been like stopped in the street. It's so weird. And oh someone's God, been like stolen the Lord. Stolen the Lord. Like, I follow you. Can I get a pic? And it's like, no. They refer I'm to like, you as your Twitter handle? Yes, oh. God, yes. Like, oh only my time that's happened. Okay, so I'm usually referred to by my name when this happens. And sometimes, when it happens at like a convention, if I'm like at E3 and you see me, like, fine, stop me. I understand. Sure. I understand why we're all there. But like, the, it just reminds me, one time I went to the mall when, the, when MySpace fame was a big thing in high school. Uh-huh. I went to the mall with my friend and someone came up to her outside a hot topic and was like oh my god are you stopped the fucking car on myspace and i was just like i don't know if i can handle this shit it's a lot <laughs> it's it's a lot like i've it's had i've had i'm not like i said i'm not big but i've had like stalkers i've had like people like i was out to lunch with a friend and someone was like dming me like i can see fun. you right now in this restaurant and uh, i was like you know like it's a it's yeah. it's a fucking lot like yeah oh my god it, yes i'm i'm relating to all of this by yeah. the way <laughs> it's like it's about consuming me as my content and like yes flattening me into something consumable like mm-hmm. rara you just said you're relating to all this how does it work especially with your work like do you do you ever get that crossover i mean it's really hard because so so gita i'm a i'm a dancer i'm a stripper in Atlanta mm-hmm. and it's really hard because it's really hard to keep customers away from my social media sometimes mm-hmm. because a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of my coworkers follow me on like Instagram if if a customer has my friends my coworkers Instagram they'll probably see my shit and it and mm-hmm. I, I don't keep it private because it's like I have you know I was trying to do comedy for the longest time and be a famous stand up comic and so I was trying to get, you know, publicity and um, followers, you know, just to have more eyes on what I was doing. So mm-hmm. like in the past year, especially, I've become really wary of posting like personal pictures on my on any accounts of posting like too many lewds because like it, it's mm. just I, I get just the most dehumanizing co- like comments about yeah. myself. And and it's just like, wow, I just thought this picture of me looked look really hot. But I guess um, I guess now it's time to to make me feel like less of a person or something because it made you uncomfortable (laughs) or you don't think I'm hot. Um, And it's just like, it's stuff like that, but it's also kind of scary, you know, being a a sex worker, like who is out about 
what I do and like is not does not shy away from the bad aspects of it and as well as the good. It's really um, people think they know everything about you because you talk about your bad days and it's like mm-hmm. you don't know shit really like like what I share yeah. online is really like super surface level compared to like the fucking like storm of emotions I have to fucking go through sometimes when just dealing with my regular life. Mm -hmm. And it's part of the reason why I don't really like post about my mental health or I I don't really post about like ADHD that much because like I feel like I was just opening up myself to people coming in and harming me with that information. And it really sucks because I feel like a lot of people came to my account because of my honesty about my job and because of my honesty about my mental health issues and stuff. And I feel like because I have I am a bigger account. It's funny because I only have like 13,000 followers. So I'm not even really that big. But I guess I'm like big in like leftist Twitter or whatever. Mm And those are the most online people besides, oh, like, gosh. you know, hardcore conservatives. So, like, it's really bizarre because people do think they fucking know you and they mm. do have this familiarity with you when you're, you know, I, I've met some really lovely people that have been like, oh, I follow you on Twitter. That's cool. And then I've also met some really, like, kind of uh, scary slash irritating slash you know like questionable people where they're like i follow you on twitter and you're just like whoa yeah Hmm." yeah there's a difference between oh i follow you on twitter and i follow you on twitter (laughs) yeah and like overly eager to meet me because i am like a minor and it's like i don't i'm not any kind of special person when you meet me like i'm usually like riddled with social anxiety so i'm not that cool like i'm not that cool when you first meet me (laughs) i'm gonna meet me and i'm gonna like just info dump about my current hyperfixation yeah like I thought, oh my god, going to do some hug. Yes, they'll be like, "Wow, she's really not that cool." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, she's like weird and kind of awkward, and, and a little just bit wants intense. to talk about the video game stalker yeah. and won't make eye contact with me. So, yes. uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> it's like it's really you know. I posted a picture of me in a bikini. Truly, was a thirst trap. <laughs> like I was thirst trapping. Amen. Because I have all these fucking thirst traps, and I like don't have anyone to send them to except David, who lives with me and sees right. my titties every same. day. Not the, same. <laughs> not the same. Not the same. So, like, someone did just straight up ask me for a tip pick, and I was like, what? <laughs> like, you better be counting your blessings. You get this. Yeah. Like, I stopped posting selfies for multiple years. Yeah. I stopped using my face as my profile pic for multiple years mm-hmm. because people just take ownership of you uh-huh. because they, con- they consume a small part of you as entertainment. Right. Like, I'm not entertainment – I have, like, $10,000 in credit card debt, baby. Like, I, I'm not a lofty, privileged position where I am on the same, like, caliber as a Hollywood movie star right. for whom this is their intended career choice. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's that desire to create micro-celebrity. Like, where do you think that comes mm-hmm. from? Like, I mean, I just think that it is something that will just happen. Mm-hmm. Like, something that will, if you give people platforms, then certain people will rise to the top and become more popular. It's just about how human socialization works. But I also think that Twitter especially, and also platforms like TikTok, and it happened on LiveJournal, you know, the the big name fans in fandom from Lord of the Rings days, you know, end up being published authors now. People act like the way that social media can sort people into popular and accounts and their followers means that these people have any, like, real authority at all. 
Oh, I just have a lot of people that follow me, truly. The reason why I have a check mark on Twitter, I filled out a form. (laughs) Yeah. And that's it, you know? Like, I have only as much authority as what I write about Mm. gives me. And people really do think at, look at the, the numbers, the follower count number, and just think, well, 10,000, over 10,000 people think this person is smart and good. Right. I should, too. Mm-hmm. The, or I don't like when people necessarily, like, follow police each other and be like, can't believe they're friends with this person. It's like, it's, it's like if they, oh, God, say, yeah. if they say, say something like, you know, racist, transphobic, sexist, like, super sexist or whatever, it's like, okay, yeah, I would kind of be like, why, why do y'all follow this person? But it's like, we don't know. We don't really know these fucking meme yeah, accounts right. are doing. We don't know who these people yeah, are. Like, they, I think it was, it was like Abby Wilkinson who said one time, like, look, I'm a writer and I follow a lot of people because like I need to know what they're saying. Like mm-hmm. it's yeah. not an endorsement. It right. doesn't mean we're besties. It's like it's my job. Yeah. Yeah. I've subscribed to PewDiePie on YouTube <laughs> and it's not like I like his video content at all. Mm-hmm. But I just want to be aware of it if he accidentally says the N-word again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, like I gotta know. I can't I I for me, like my media consumption is like it's not a new politically neutral act, mm-hmm. but it is important to me for my job to be informed, which means looking at content I don't like. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like I, the who you follow on Twitter really is not a good indicator of who you are as a human being. The idea that you can just divine someone's goodness, mm-hmm. someone's like, again, this idea of an inherent moral core that's completely mm-hmm. immutable and can be figured out in seconds. There's no sorting hat for whether or not you're a good person. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we've talked a lot. We, we we just shit on the entire internet for like a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm, I'm, shitting on them. Yeah. <laughs> shitting on them. Um, but last year you wrote this article, um, you know, talking about the cool zone because we were all talking about it, you know, and it felt mm-hmm. like with the jo- George Floyd uprisings, it felt like, you know, things were going to kind of have some traction here. And I think technology and social and and like the internet uh, writ large played a huge role in that yeah so i'm kind of wondering like what's your take on tech's role in like movement building right so a little background on this is uh my dad is from selma alabama Mm. and was a like he was involved in the civil rights movement when he lived there he was like a teenager but like did sit-ins went to solitary he marched on the edmund pettus bridge god damn so this is like something we talk about together a lot Mm -hmm. because I feel like activism is a part of a legacy that I inhabit and I am not as politically involved in terms of organizing as I would like to be right now the pandemic was really hard on me and I'm dealing with like hot girl mental health problems but yeah (laughs) um, but I think that as I move into 2021 it's something I want to make real life in-person organizing is something I want to make more of my priority Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's because I see and I talk about with my dad who's I mean my dad just like has the same personality as like every every white guy in Brooklyn right now all he wants to talk about is leftist politics and camera equipment oh my god (laughs) that's adorable it's so cute I love him so much yeah shout Um, out to you dad yeah shout out to my dad who's gonna be so embarrassed when he inevitably hears this but, but he is so great um but we end up talking a lot about how frustrating it is that, you know, we listen to, he listens to a lot of leftist podcasts. He also definitely has ADHD undiagnosed, but he's always listening to podcasts. He's always trying to expand his knowledge of leftist politics and perspectives. And he gets very frustrated sometimes with online left people mm-hmm. for focusing way too much on organizing as an internet 
activity. Yeah. Organizing on the internet is very helpful. Like, we uh, clearly, obviously know how helpful it has been for disability activists sure. to be able to organize on Meet Online. Mm-hmm. But I know from experience, just from being involved, by being a person who marched in multiple, you know, marches for George Floyd during Black Lives Matter last year, that being there in person, showing up in person, can create a much stronger, tangible result. Mm-hmm. You know, being a part of, being a union rep for Kotaku when I was over at Geo Media also really taught me a lot about how being in the room and arguing for your fellow workers in person, yeah. it does have a material impact on the people who have the money. Tweets can help, but they're not everything. Yeah. And I think that there are people, because they've seen how much tweets can help, get really defensive about that idea. I'm not going to say like something like Hassan Piker uh, mainstreaming a lot of left-wing ideas isn't significant. Sure. That's hugely like his the his success is evidence that these ideas are popular mm-hmm. and that a lot of people like them. Mm-hmm. Like the visibility that the internet can afford to um, the this, this strikes that are going over across the country that leads to something like uh, a Good Morning America. I don't know if you guys saw there was a short news report just about how many different like labor unions are on strike yeah. right now. Goddamn, which. Like, that's a mainstream news, baby. Like, that's really, really cool. Yeah. And that couldn't have happened without people on the internet elevating this activism. Mm-hmm. But the activism happened in person. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. You know, that that is something that we should always remember. Like, knocking on your neighbor's door and asking what's wrong and how you can help is going to result in, in something you can see and feel like a community. And that's where we should probably be focusing most of our efforts. Yeah, absolutely. And I I wanted to add too, like what you said about in-person organizing is absolutely true. Like just from a human psychology like level, you know, Mm -hmm. reading text, reading words, you know, even if there are compelling words on a piece of paper or online, Uh like or on your phone or whatever, um, that can be powerful. But really like seeing the person in front of you that is affected by the politics that you are like fighting is such a powerful motivator and it, it creates so much more solidarity. But it also on the flip side, it's much harder to be a piece of shit in person to somebody yeah. and to and yeah. to have your like mm-hmm. hot takes in person when you're yeah. looking someone directly in the eye that can be like Yeah, why do you think yeah. why do you think Kristen Cinema hid in the toilet? Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know? She went to a place where she would not be obligated to answer. Why do you think, you know, Diane Feinstein looks so stupid when those kids from the Sunrise Movement yeah. tried to ask her why she still supports fossil fuels? Mm-hmm. You do that in person because it makes the other person look dumb. Yeah, exactly. It has <laughs> and it shows an their weakness. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That too. Um, and I think thinking about how Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp were down what last week i think we're going to see more of that infrastructure failing so too are like just as like you know the crumbling empire it's like structural buildings are crumbling so too will go tech um yeah yeah you know a decentralized internet is coming mm-hmm. like it is absolutely co- like these I'm working on a bunch of stories right now that you'll see when you see them, but they're mostly about this idea that this, the idea of free speech absolutism that Twitter and Facebook especially Mm -hmm. espoused. And then, you know, it's it's reaping and sowing. They are now sowing the results of, you know, doubling down and hammering into this idea that allowing people to say anything they want on an unmoderated will not create material harm in the world. Clearly, we know that's not true anymore. Mm-hmm. But there are still, like, burgeoning the social media platforms where this is still a question. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at some stuff like on AO3, which is Archive of Our Own, it's exclusively for fan fiction, but mm-hmm. people have full-on conversations on there. And, like, 
kudos and hits and like all that stuff. People are using it as a social media platform as sure. much as they are using it as a place to write and post fan fiction. You know, that's having its own conversation about what speech is permissible online. And, you know, it's we're facing we're looking at this and looking at supposed to match media and we're seeing how exactly how harmful it can be. And we're all going to have a choice as consumers of these products and also as young people and activists who look at the stranglehold that Silicon Valley has on all of technology. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to be able to think, you know, like, can we allow the fucking monopoly that is Facebook to exist? No, we cannot suffer this to live. Mm, right. Yes. Yeah. So what do you think? Um, do you think that there is a, like a strong movement right now for um, turning like Facebook and like WhatsApp at least into public utilities because it feels like there's it feels like you know socialists have been saying that for a really long time but yeah. it feels like like maybe liberals are finally getting on board with the idea that Facebook and um, these these large apps that everyone uses to communicate with like the rest of the world should be like in the you know regulated by the government what how do you feel about that movement well I mean I would think the internet itself should be a considered utility mm-hmm. you can't get a job without the internet at all yes. like right. uh, you know if you are an unhoused person and you don't have a basic, you know, smartphone, it will be almost impossible for you to get a, a get and apply to a job. Like it, mm-hmm. it just it is a necessary requirement of your existence. If you are a child trying to do schoolwork right now, you literally need a computer and the internet. Mm-hmm. There's no way of getting around that. Mm-hmm. And to deprive access to that to some people who live in this in America specifically, that's inhumane. It is inhumane. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, I'm always nervous about the idea of the American government uh, controlling these large uh, utilities like Facebook. But when I think about Facebook, it does seem more and more obvious to people that have never thought about this before that Facebook is just a phone book. Like, (laughs) it's literally the phone book. And it doesn't make sense. Even if Facebook remains a private entity, why don't we have just an online phone book. We used to have phone books, you know? And they were really useful. They were really useful to have. Mm -hmm. You could look up any fucking buddy in the phone book and call them. Yeah. And that is the same function that Facebook serves. If I want to find, like, my relatives in India, my mom's side of the family, I can look them up on Facebook and message them if I have something urgent I need to tell them. Right. You know, it's so clear that WhatsApp is so essential in the developing world Mm -hmm. that, like, it doesn't make sense that... We don't have more options for these people. Yeah, like um, uh, when WhatsApp was down on, in the southern border region, like all of the asylum seekers use WhatsApp to communicate with their attorneys, to mm-hmm. communicate with one another, to get connected to services. And when it was down, like everybody was fucked. Yeah. Like, yeah. And no one knew what to do. Everything grinded to a halt. I'm, I'm curious. I don't know enough about this, but if any of our, our listeners live in Tennessee, I do know that um, it started in Chattanooga. But I do know that there's something around internet being a public utility in Tennessee. So let us know. Hit us up on um, Twitter or the email hotgirlagenda at gmail.com. Let us know what the experience is like there, what what what's going on and, and how it looks, how it looks in your state. Because I, I do think it's really important to think about it as a public utility. Both of you are absolutely right. But one thing I wanted to um, kind of bring it back to was that as these things are crumbling and we don't necessarily see burgeoning movements to to make them public utilities to make them people owned like social media and the internet um all uh in-person organizing is absolutely critical it is Mm -hmm. absolutely essential Mm -hmm. 
you know, on Hot Girl Agenda, we we really try to push that. Um, we want to hear from folks, and some of our listeners have been really receptive to that and like sharing their stories, and we really appreciate that because, yeah. like, at the end of the fucking day, we're all we got, and so like. Yeah. We need to do this together. Like, if you live in an apartment building right now, just get to know your neighbors. If you live somewhere in the suburbs or in a more rural area, do the same thing Mm -hmm. outside of your, you know, go to where people gather and just talk to them. And Mm -hmm. some of them are going to piss you off, probably. Some of them you won't like. But, you know, like, there was this big thing that happened in the WGA East over the council elections, and a lot of people ended up arguing with David Simon, creator of The Wire. And he was a real big jerk (laughs) to a lot of people. David Simon. Yeah. (laughs) God. And it's just like, you know, I'm still pissed at some of the things he said about my comrades, but he's in the union with me. Like, I'm fighting for him, too. Sure. There can be people you fucking hate in the union. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We all want better conditions for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say um, in-person organizing with my neighbors has been the hardest aspect for me because, mm-hmm. I, li- you know, I live in an apartment, so it, it's really hard to get. There are not really good public spaces in a lot of, you know, apartment complexes in, in Atlanta, especially. Um, everything is kind of atomized and kind of regulating you to your little space and the common areas are just like non-existent or it's like for people with dogs like and it's yeah and it's like if you're yeah if you're not a dog owner you won't probably meet anybody else yeah and if you're just like outside of your apartment to just get to somewhere else then it's really hard to connect like that so I would be curious to see if any of our listeners have successfully organized um, their apartment buildings or just you know strengthen their community bond by talking to their neighbors and what tips they can give to the rest of us who are not good at that. Because I'd say that that is definitely a blind spot in my organizing is mm-hmm. I can go to a bar and talk to anybody, but talking to mm-hmm. my neighbors is very daunting. You know, it, it can be a very daunting uh, task. Yeah. So if anybody has uh, any tips for that, or Gita, if you have any tips for that. Yeah, I mean, my upstairs neighbor, uh, Gabrielle, who's very kind, uh, he reached out one time because we've met each other in the hallway. There's only three units in this building. And he was like, hey, is your electricity bill really high? And I was like, yeah, actually, it is really high. And we were able to have like a meeting between the three different units and talk about what the problem was and send a letter to our landlord, who was incredibly unresponsive. But even having that paper trail (coughs) will be useful if anything occurs in the future. Yeah. Yeah which I am 100% sure it will, just based on my experiences with this landlord. Totally. So, and having the phone numbers for people who live in this building, not all of them, but some of them, is also really, really useful, even though this sort of initial effort we had kind of fizzled out. It just, asking someone who lives in, like, if you see them in the hallway, is like, hey, I'm having this weird problem with my landlord. Are you having that problem? You might get a dismissive no, but you might get a yes. And they might be really happy to hear that someone else is having the same issue. Right. Yeah, I have uh, I've I've found some solidarity with talking to folks in the laundry room over the state of our fucking laundry machines, which is yeah. just like a constant thorn in my side. And as someone with yeah. ADHD, like who gets derailed by shit like that, it's like hmm, the laundry machine not working or my clothes soaking wet. And like it, it was a bonding experience for me and a couple people I ran into where we were just like, I hate this shit so much. What do we do? And I was like, yeah, we got to call them. We got to like talk to them. But it occurred to me later, I was like, man, I should have gotten their name and their apartment number Mm -hmm. and like their phone number or something so I could have talked to them a little bit more so I yeah I'm always looking for creative solutions to that so thank you for that that's a great idea leave a sign up sheet like a for with the you know with name email just on a laundry machine oh wow yeah you know some people might put their names down and then you can be like hey I'm I'm rah rah I live in this unit 
and I have the same issue. Let's all meet up and talk about it sometime. Hell yeah. It's, you'd be so surprised. Like, I'm sure you know because you do in-person organizing, but people are always surprisingly receptive when they feel like they're being heard, totally. you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think also like living in a smaller, I also live in a small building where only four units. I found it a lot easier to kind of like chunk that out because it's smaller. But thinking about a larger unit, if I just talk to a few people at a time and then it kind of spreads and then I kind of mobilize them, I think that would be a lot easier. Um, like for example, in my building, so in LA right now it's termite season, which is a- Oh fu- boy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So our building is super old and they all came out and you know, I thought it was just our issue, you know, our unit, you know, but then I was like, wait a second, I've seen like shit on the stairs or whatever, termite, you know, evidence. So I reached out to our, our um, property management and they sent a termite guy out and then I just went outside and was like, hey neighbors, come out, you know, and half our building speaks Spanish and the other half speaks English. So I was just kind of doing the like Spanish English thing. But eventually it was like, no, we all have to say something because we all have this problem. We just weren't talking yes. to each other about it. And so now yes. they're, they're going to take care of it. Nice. Um, and also they were trying to pull it off like, okay, you need to be out. And I was like, no, actually municipal code says you need to pay us to be yes. out of here. And, yes. and so now they're going to pay us. And it's just like, I, all I had to do was like, just talk to these small groups. So like, if you're thinking about your big building, you're like, fuck, this is massive, right? Like, mm-hmm. chunk it out. Like, just say, all I have to do is talk to the people yeah. on either side of me, and then we'll right. kind of spread from there. That's a just great idea. Most, yeah, because yeah, I do live yeah. in a larger complex, and it's daunting. Sure. And the one time I did try to do tenant organizing um, during COVID, when co- when quarantine first happened, I was really dumb, and I, I was putting flyers on people's door with my contact info, like, with a, you know, it was like a... It was like a shell account or whatever, like shell sure, sure. email. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, there's currently no COVID relief for, for tenants of this complex, da, da, da. Give me an email, like uh, uh, shoot me an email if you need help with resources. Didn't mention anything else. And I got, and somebody alerted like the office or something and sent one of their goons down in a big red truck and was like, you can't do that. You can't solicit, da, 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 da. That's and so it was annoying. like, hmm. So I had to go back through my lease and be like, okay, apparently I can't put notes on my neighbor's doors or underneath their door because it's soliciting. So I'd actually have to email or I'd have to um, mail them directly for each unit, which is insane. Wow. So I snitch at Robert's building. We just want to talk. What's up? What's good? Yeah. So they can't stop me me from uh, making cookies for my neighbors next door, you know, and stopping by uh, and doing the same thing with my downstairs neighbors. So that's a good starting point and I will be thinking about that and chewing on it yes yeah I mean what my my dad always tells me my dad was like big into convincing everyone at the gym he goes to he's a 75 year old man who does CrossFit like a freak oh my god he's, the I more know. you talk my about your dad the more I'm just I, like I, I love adopt him. Me? <laughs> I'm trying to convince him to start a podcast with me so <laughs> we're gonna call it the Jackson too oh, oh my, my god, god I love that because <laughs> he taught himself everything about video production and I'm like that's a hop skip and a jump away from audio production father of mine we should probably work on that but his whole thing you know during uh the most recent presidential election was just convincing everyone in his gym to try to vote for bernie sanders in the primary primary and they would talk to him and see his like bernie shirt and be like man i don't know about that bernie guy and he'd be like hey listen is your medication just like really expensive and they'd be like yes 
So do you like really hate having to go to the doctor? You put off going to the doctor when you get sick because you don't want to pay copays? And they're like, yes. Do you like think it's disgusting how much insulin costs in this country? And they're like, yes. And he's like, okay, you're a Bernie Sanders supporter. You just like kind of backdoor Mm -hmm. people by telling them that they are already upset about the same things you're upset about. Yeah. You go a long way. They're always they're going to be way more receptive because you've already sort of defeated their uh, their defeatist thinking, you know, in terms of, oh, none of this can ever change. This is just how the way that it is. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no. Also, there's other people that believe this, too. And I think you should meet those guys. Mm-hmm. They, it really worked. Also, my dad's the most charming person in the universe. So that has to help. <laughs> but uh, it does, you know, by talking to people in person, you do learn how much more you have in common with other people than the things that separate you. And sometimes, you know, you will get to know someone that you've organized with and discover that they have some really gross opinions about XYZ and you do not want to hang out with them anymore. <laughs> yeah. But that is like a risk you have to take. And also, like, if you, if you change their mind on one thing, there is a good chance that they'd be open to hearing from you about other things. Right. That doesn't mean that everybody has to do that work, of course, but... You know, sometimes you'll discover that someone is just like, hey, man, so I've held, like, transphobic beliefs in my heart, but based on knowing you, I have to take all that shit back. Like, I, mm. I realize now I was wrong. Like, that, that is always the sickest shit when I have to Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Very, you know, rare, but it is, you know, it's just by exposure to these ideas that people become more familiar with them. And mm-hmm. sometimes it helps to be one sort of tick in that sort of exposure yeah, absolutely. Meter. Fear of the unknown is a strong motivator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of people in the world of video games like that simply had never met or talked to at black gamers before. Mm. And now that black gamers are trying really hard to make themselves more visible and are finally being paid attention to, to by these large corporations, people are really understanding like gaming is super black it's always been really really black like super nintendo sega genesis when i was dead broke i couldn't picture this like Mm -hmm. this has been since the inception of video games as a thing Mm -hmm. black people fucking love them every black man i've ever known has owned an xbox 360 in battlefield like (laughs) you know i mean there was a reason they kept putting uh they kept putting game consoles and pimp my ride vehicles you know like exactly exactly (laughs) it's cool like you know like if sony had not been afraid of a a fear of a black gamer but like if sony had not been afraid of this the ps vita would probably have still survived that is a joke for about six people i remember the ps vita wow yeah yeah but like there was a point when i lived in chicago i lived in hyde park and uh Mm. taking the bus from hyde park to downtown to go to my like shitty waitress job uh Every black kid on that bus had a PS Vita. Mm. And it's just, it's insane that they didn't just purport that console to me. But it's just because, like, we had allowed these ideas to, we had allowed this idea that, like, the white culture is the only culture to just fester. And right. here we forgot, like, black people are involved in all parts of culture all of the time. Absolutely. And are integral part of it. But now that... This is changing. We are understanding. Like, you can see a lot of people having their minds changed in real time. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very interesting to watch. I think some people are disappointed at the speed. And, yeah, obviously, I don't think that is, like, a capitalist co-signing the existence of black people should be the reason why black people have rights. But, like, it's still pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that incremental process in conjunction with, like, an actual, like, uh, you know, substantive... Uh, movement building process like yeah yeah dual power baby yeah you know it's nice hashtag 
Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, speaking of gaming, and I and and this is a fascinating conversation, by the way. Before we ran out of time, I did want to say that okay. I saw your article about Shining Nikki, which is this like is it a oh, is it yes. a Korean fashion game or a, a Chinese I company think, that I think it's Chinese, just space. Yeah. yeah. It is, but it's I like this so. really. It's like a three D. Like, is it three? How do I even like describe yeah, like- this game? It's a dress-up game, and you use, like, th- a 3D model of this little cute pink-haired girl named Nikki and just dress her up in little outfits. And there used to be some sort of styling battle component of uh-huh. it, but it, that's really kind of faded into the background. It's really just sort of a bizarre... It's, like, also a part of what makes it charming, I have to say. It's, like, a little bit Orientalist, but... It's very poorly translated, yes. and it's difficult to understand exactly what the story is if you don't speak Chinese. But a lot of it seems to have to do with um, a violent revolution. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and fashion with- is like the agent of change in all this. Fits yes. for the rev. Yeah, I'm fits, into it. <laughs> fits for the yeah. revolution, yes. <laughs> Styling power is so like powerful in this universe that it can defeat mind control. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. if you wear yeah. an outfit that's hot enough, people will be like, "Damn, <laughs> wow!" I- there's no rhyme or reason as to why these outfits are categorized they the way they. There, there's a little bit of like there's a little bit of reasoning, but then you get like some of your most powerful outfits are just a disaster, and you're like, "Okay, whatever." Oh my god! Um, but I passed the level, and now I can get this other cute outfit, and I can dress up yes. my avatar the way I want want to but i just love exactly. it because when yeah when i was researching for this interview and i saw the article i was like oh, we can talk about shiny nikki that dress up game i play oh my god it's so stupid but it's so fun it's so addictive I mean, part of it is the article i wrote was about how one of the accessories you can get yes is a gun yeah, yeah i saw that <laughs> you can and just yeah. get like, a fucking glock <laughs> Well, yeah, so like I'm a I'm a, you know, firearms owner and I was like I was looking at the gun cuz it's very detailed. It's like yeah, a very detailed gun. Yes. And I it's was like, like a- what kind of gun is that? It's got like Please. the the handle of like a 1911, but it's got like an old-timey revolver barrel, but you yeah. can tell it's it's a magazine gun, but also like I was just like what is that? I showed it to my husband. I was like, "Do you know what that is?" He was like, "That's not a real gun. That is <laughs> That is a Frankenstein. Um, but one thing I was really excited about was that, like, Nikki has really good trigger discipline. Yeah, like, she, does. she just, like, does not put her booger hook in the mm-hmm. bang switch. And I was just, like, very good. Yeah, trigger very discipline good. is some hot girl shit, by the way. Uh, That's yeah, she also, she doesn't point it at you. Usually when yeah. she's holding a handbag and the, the camera goes around her 360 to show off the handbag, she holds up the handbag like she, you know, like Taylor Swift going shopping. Um, but when she has the gun, she point, angles it at the ground instead of pointing it at the camera. That's also good gun safety practice. Exactly. Very good, Nikki. I, I might have to play Nikki. this game for that. I'm learning so much God. from Nikki, honestly. <laughs> I really am learning so much about how the power of fashion can literally destabilize uh, a like tyrannical government system. Yes. Oh my god. It is like it is low-key revolutionary shit in that game. And when that doesn't work, just use your weird gun. <laughs> There's also apparently an assault rifle. Oh my god, I have, oh my I have that god. one. Oh my god. Yeah, I have what? when I played Love Nikki, there were many gu- there were like four different guns you could get. And what? one of them was this really long sniper rifle. Like, oh my god. Like, she held, and I was just like, wow, this is weird. But like Okay, now I really badass. need to play this. Like, yeah. 
I mean, it is. So it's not like in that article. I also, you know, there's this incredible clip of Naomi Campbell um, on, I think, a Versace red carpet where not a refreshed runway where she it was a men's runway show and there's just like a, a male model writhing on the ground when she comes out just like with a gun and like just dom sam essentially like, <laughs> <laughs> like just some gunplay <laughs> and it's really amazing like fashion does understand the power of these like symbolic objects mm-hmm. like guns so it completely makes sense why this is in the game <laughs> but it's still just, like makes me because i the gun is like the most powerful accessory i have for the handsomeness stat so yeah. every time i have Guns to do an outfit that's hide handsomeness i always have this gun <laughs> incredible incredible shit yeah also if you wear like the boy outfits in that game it like gives you like a flat chest and like a more oh, hell yeah. a, like we a more masculine build like yeah oh and when you talk to nikki the the always give you an option to identify yourself as non-binary which is <gasps> Yeah. Really, really sweet. We love to see it. Yeah, yes. us they thems. We love that shit. Yeah. Um, oh, and there's a nail salon also, and they let you do boys' nails too. You, I haven't and, like, seen the nail salon. Oh my god, the nail salon is. It opens up at level thirty, oh I think. But I need like, to start playing just, again. It reminds me a lot of this other fashion game I had for the 3ds, which they should just put on the Switch, which is. God, what is the name of these games? I wrote this incredibly long-winded review of it for Kotaku because I love it so much. Where you just, like, own a fashion store and people come in and they're like, oh, I'm going on a date. Please get me this cute outfit. Oh, my God. And that sounds do their so hair. good. And you can also do their nails. And then you can have, like, runway competitions. And it's just, like, this is, like, a, like... It's so funny because it's the same exact shit that makes me really like playing Destiny 2 and like Dark Souls, like mm-hmm. just dressing up a guy. Uh-huh. I think <laughs> so it, having a whole game about it just makes me so happy. Yeah. It satisfies that same like um, urge of like collecting and putting shit together that cooking mm-hmm. in Breath of the Wild does. Like Yes. Yes. That same desire to just like make a thing complete. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Like the checklist game thing about Animal Crossing that we were talking about, mm-hmm. Rara, where it's just like I love checking shit off a list. I just really, 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 really do. Yes. Absolutely. That's that ADHD, though. That's that, like, um, bing, 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 bing. You know, I need just a tiny little hit of dopamine in order to get through the next couple of minutes of my oh life. Oh, my God. Yes. That's my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. So just to pivot a little, because we are running a lot of time, um, you recently wrote an article about Stitch Fix and about their labor issues, um, a lot of which had to do with the like toxic positivity culture of the company and also their um, in-company app, which is what they use to like sort the clothes. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, this is just like... I- this is a labor organizing issue very, very clearly, you know, and you look at it and you understand by talking to these workers, what I quickly became clear to me was that this is just a kind of retail worker problem that is going to continue to mm-hmm. exist as long as we keep automating and onlineifying these jobs yeah. and these industries. The kinds of problems they're having are the same kinds of problems you see in call centers and the same kinds of problems you see in in-person retail. But because they're on the internet, management has the ability to silo these workers off so much that organizing becomes almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Luckily, these people are savvy and the workers I spoke to, they've started talking to each other out of work and there is i've heard there is you know some discussion about possibly trying to organize the the stylists that work for Stitch Fix. Awesome. Um, and I know 
that there's been discussion of organizing it for the tech workers, for the um, the workers who are in consumer uh, experience, yeah. and also some of the workers in the warehouses are talking about organizing. It's been a serious discussion as well. But I think that like the most important takeaway from this article, which really details a concerted and conscious effort for management to keep workers from speaking to each other, mm. that it's more important than ever to just hit people up like outside yeah. of work like mm-hmm. just be like hey do you want to chat like not well the feds aren't watching basically like that to, was like, like the the most insidious part for me was just like keeping people separate to the point mm-hmm. where like they almost couldn't talk to each other outside mm-hmm. of work like, yeah that feels so union busty like yeah. pre-union busty but with unions the rights of unions and legislation around unions gutting their ability to organize. It's like, fuck, man. Yeah, like, yeah. Gnarly. I felt so inspired also by talking to these people because one of the person, one of the workers I spoke to said, literally said to me that organizing in digital media was one of the th- reasons why they thought this would be at all possible. And, mm. you know, it really shows you how much labor movement has grown in the past 10 years. And I, you know, journalists toot their own horn all the time. And I don't want to be a part of that culture. Like the New York media guy is like a class of person that I find really obnoxious. But it is true. Like when people say, oh, like, oh, these these are brain jobs and your know, brain workers don't deserve unions. Like, no, mm. everybody deserves a union. And in fact, when brain workers get a union, it shows other kinds of workers that they can organize too. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. It has been just so awesome to talk to you. And I can't wait to put this episode out. And we will definitely link the Stitch Fix article so that, you know, our readers know what we're talking Mm -hmm. about. Because I found it very interesting. I used to use Stitch Fix myself for a long Mm -hmm. time. And I was just really appalled by how bad it was. Like, I knew knew something Mm -hmm. must have been up because the quality of their product was like kind of on the decline for a while. And like yeah. your article mm-hmm. really put it together for me as a consumer as to why that was happening. And that I, that's so valuable. So thank you so much for writing and doing no what you do and also for hanging out with us and doing hot girl shit. Thank you, Gita. I knew I had to be on this podcast. I love it. Yay. And thank you so much for having me on. This is so much Yay. fun. Awesome. It was an honor to have you. This is a free episode, but we have more amazing content like this on our Patreon. Um, if you have not subscribed to our Patreon, please do. We have two levels, $3 and $5. And you get a rad sticker Stickers. that Rara lovingly made. Uh, just for you. So, um, Rara, what's the Patreon link? It's patreon.com slash hotgirlagenda. And you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram under the same handle. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. Thanks, y'all, so much. And see you next week. Bye. Bye.